Well, good evening. It's good to be with you once again, and as been announced, we are doing part two of our, what we call our chair series here on the subject of shepherding. We're calling this Shepherd Talk, kind of going a little deeper in such things than what the Bible teaches, and so we've come up with another series of questions. Uh, we know who's going to ask who what, but we don't know how they're going to answer, and so if uh, Jason doesn't answer correctly, I'll school him later, and so... Uh, <laughs> No, that won't you be You can school me right now. <laughs> yeah, <you're fine>. <laughs> let's, let's turn over to Ephesians 4. You know, that was just read to us, but let's kind of go back to that. You know, it, it seems to me like this, this topic that we're doing Sunday morning and Sunday night, and you might be saying, why are we putting so much onto this, so heavily? And some of you might be thinking, okay, when we get to the conclusion of this, some names are going to appear, and we're going to point elders. Uh, that's not behind this. And... and you know, too often, the only time we hear lessons about shepherds or elders is when a name is put up. And then the rest of the time, we never talk about them until another name is put up. It's kind of like Christmas. You know, you, you, you get your Christmas stuff out, and unless you're Hobby Lobby, it's year-round. But, but you get your Christmas stuff out, and you decorate for the year or for the season, and then it goes back, and you never think about it until next season. And that's how some congregations deal with this topic is that we're not going to talk about it until there's another name, and as long as there's no other names, we will never talk about it. And sometimes it's good to talk about it when there's not a name, because it makes us focus on the Scriptures and to see what God wants us to see. So there in Ephesians 4, verse 11, which uh, started off to us this evening, and we use this again this, this morning in our lesson, and he gave them as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers, it then goes on, as we mentioned this morning, that what would happen or result because of that. They would be unified, they'd be mature, they'd be functional. But notice as it begins in verse 11, God gave. He didn't say, y'all figured it out. He didn't say, come find me. It's the, it's the operation of heaven that makes all this possible. And so that's where we want to kind of look at as we talk about some of these things this evening. Anything you want to say at the beginning? Just... We live in a world that is desperate for good leadership. We feel that all around us in, in the world. And if we don't talk about leadership or we wait to talk about leadership until there is a crisis of leadership, that's kind of like trying to lay a foundation when the flood is rising. And so it is good periodically. This is just one of those things where every once in a while in the life of a church family for health and growth and maturity and for the sake of the future it's good to talk about it is it is we have uh, layers and layers of ages here and this is something that we would like to plant in some of the younger minds and to see that the honorable things too oftentimes when this discussion is talked about or people get in circles and they talk about elders or shepherds it, it's always trash talk. It's always negative. And sometimes it's deserving because of the way they've, they've functioned. But we need to see that in God's estimation, this is honorable and this is good. God gave. And that's something, again, we need to kind of remind ourselves of that. So let's jump into our questions. We've got several this evening. Question number one um, says, so often in discussions like this, more emphasis is put on the qualifications than the work that the shepherds do. What is the downside of this? All right, so let's go back to 1 Timothy chapter 3. We have used that off and on last week. We heard a little from it 
this morning. 1 Timothy 3 is one of those key texts in this whole discussion. And there's no doubt, I, I would draw your attention first of all to verse 1. The saying is trustworthy, 1 Timothy 3, 1. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. A couple of key words there. First of all, office. If all that we had was, if anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he must be. I think something would be lost there because office maybe just conjures in our mind the idea of, okay, we're going to install someone in a position of honorary recognition and in order to be recognized to you know have a big picture on the wall somewhere and and honored as well there was someone who really made it look at them let's be more like them that is missing everything that Roger has been talking to us about over the course of the last several Sunday mornings this is not an honorary position. I'm, I'm thankful to God that he continued from, if anyone aspires to the office of overseer, to he desires a noble task. Or I think the New American Standard says a fine work. What we are talking about is a task. It is a work okay and so anytime we're talking about what overseers do of course it is important that we focus on first timothy 3 titus chapter 1 these qualifications or these qualities but if we never talk about the work the task then we're really not getting to if you will the the heart of the matter. Now, I appreciated what you brought up this morning, and I, I very similarly, you said qualifications. You, you don't like that word as much. I, I don't either, and I feel very comfortable saying that because you can read 1 Timothy 3, you can read Titus chapter 1, and you won't find the word qualification. Or, or qualities for that matter. But I, I think quali qualities in English gets closer to the heart of what is being described. Qualifications in English sounds a lot like a, a checklist. Okay, if, if someone is able to check X, Y, and Z, he's arrived, uh, he, he, he's crossed the finish line, job well done. But that's not really what is being described. You brought out in your sermon that this is something that has been attained, but this is, qualities gets more to the idea of the, the character of this person that is being described, for instance, in 1 Timothy 3. I think what he is, is getting at, in English, qualities makes us think of, okay, his character, the rhythms of his life, his integrity, the, the fruits of his life that are observable. And if I understand 1 Timothy 3, Titus chapter 1, Paul is telling these young evangelists 
These are the sorts of men you are looking for. To the question here, if all that we do is talk about those qualifications or those qualities, maybe what we get to the point of is, well, does the congregation understand the work? Does this man understand the work? And I think the work could be summarized in those last few verses or last few words of 1 Timothy 3 verse 5. How will he care for God's church? It's not that we're dismissing or downgrading the qualifications or the, the, the qualities, but we need to be careful that we don't paint this as, okay, these are the bullet points that you've got to reach and once you cross that finish line, well, mission accomplished. No, it's this is the sort of man we're looking for. We want to make sure that that man and the congregation understand the nature of the work. I knew a guy one time and the uh, congregation put his name up to be a shepherd. And in talking to him, he says, I don't even like people. <laughs> Get your name out of there, buddy. How will he care for God's church if you he know, doesn't like people? I don't like people. Well, get your name out of there because yeah. this is a people job. And so, yeah. so the, the qualities will, are there, but the work is what we've got to emphasize. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. So, digging a little deeper there. From among those <laughs> qualifications or qualities for shepherds in 1 Timothy 3, Titus chapter 1. The majority of discussions that I've seen amongst congregations, I'm sure you would echo much the same, uh, a lot of attention is zeroed in on his marriage and his kids. That, that seems to be where a whole lot of the internal discussion within congregation revolves. Number one, is, is that okay why do you think the other qualities don't get much attention in comparison? How ought we to think of that phenomena that we have noticed? And, and, and you see this a lot in how guys preach 1 Timothy 3. They'll fly through those first few words in five minutes. Yeah. And then they'll spend the next eight sermons on husband and one wife. And then the next ten sermons on believing children. And we've, we've, to me, overbalanced them so much that we think that's the most important thing. Now, I do want you to look in 1 Timothy 3. Look at verse 4, verse 5. Because in a lot of ways, and we're going to be getting to this when we have our leadership class uh, in September. But in a lot of ways, what I'm seeing in these two verses is every dad is a shepherd in his own way. And what you do at home is what, you're going to, is what a shepherd does here. Here, you just got more, more sheep than you do at home. But at home, it's more than just paying the bills, cutting the grass. You got to make sure the kids are doing okay. Not just in school, but how are they getting along emotionally? How are they doing spiritually? You, you got to nourish them. You've got to have conversations with them. And if you've got more than one child, you realize you can have two children. You know where they came from, but boy, they act, sure act differently. And, and so the attention has to be there. And so he says in verse 4 and verse 5 here, he says he must be one who manages his own household well. Now that's not talking about paying the bills. You can pay the bills perfectly, but you can be an absentee father. 
You can pay your bills from afar. He's talking about taking care of a family like God would want to. Keeping his children under control with all dignity. If a man does not know how to manage his own household, how will he be able to take care of the church of God? And so, in a lot of ways, the, the family is a microcosm of the church. Now, now what happens is, and, and a lot of this is, we put our own judgment and sometimes our own words into these qualities. Uh, I've, I've heard people say, well, this guy's a great businessman. He'd make a great elder. Fine businessman in these words. Uh, this guy's a really nice guy. Well, fine nice guy in these words. He ought to be a nice guy, but I don't <laughs> find that in here. And, and what we do sometimes is, we, we spend a lot of time on what does it mean to be husband and one wife. And that word simply means a one-woman man. And then he has believing children. And boy, here we go. Well, what if he has one child and only one child, he does not have children. What if he has two kids, but only one's faithful? What if he has three kids, one's faithful, one's not faithful, and one's too young? What if he's adopted those kids and they're not really his kids? And on and on and on we go. And, and when I look at this, I don't think that people who first got that ever had those thoughts. I think what Paul's telling Timothy is you go into a congregation and you ought to be able to see this man, by the way he's conducted himself at home, is a godly man. This way, and as he conducts himself in business, is a godly man. This man, as he conducts himself in, in community, is a godly man. This man's serious with God. This man is a man of integrity. That's the way it should be. And so I, I think we've gotten things lopsided. And, and I think we put way too much emphasis upon how many kids and where the kids are at, and we're forgetting the man. And it's about the man. And is he a leader? And can I follow him? And can I trust him? And so some of these other qualities, such as in verse 2, is he temperate? Is he prudent? Is he respectable? Is he hospitable? Is he able to teach? I know some people that are able to teach anything. Hold on, because who knows where he's going to go. He's talking about teaching the word of God. All of these qualities are, are essential, but I think we sometimes through the years have got it lopsided. That might have come from us preachers, and I think we need to get back to understanding we're looking at the total picture of this man, raising a hood and saying this is a man of God. And I don't think as Paul sent this to Timothy, it would take the next 25 years to go through this in sermons, and then maybe if anyone's left alive, then we can find somebody. I don't think that's the idea. I think it would happen quickly as he would look at this, oh, I, I'm, I, as I'm reading this, oh, here's a person that comes to my mind. Here's a person that comes to my mind, because that's just the way they are. Well, and it's fascinating as you compare 1 Timothy 3, Titus chapter 1, it's very clear that Paul did not give both of those men a checklist with bullet points. Now, he largely describes the same sort of man, right? But as you compare those two lists, they are not verbatim, word for word, the same. What he is describing are qualities. Right. Qualities that you see in this man's life, in his marriage, Within his home, like, like you, the way I have heard some brethren describe this, they are, are very focused on his marriage and especially his kids. Is he self-controlled? Well, I'm not sure. Is he sober-minded? Well, it could go either way. And, and that is a very lopsided way 
of, it is. of it describing is. this I mean, whole I, thing. J just, just to give you an example, I knew a man years ago in Indianapolis. Both of his sons today are preaching. It's not because of dad, it's because of the mom. And when you look at that picture from a distance, you say, man, that guy ought to be an elder because look, look at his kids. And all. No, 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 no. He wasn't a leader. He didn't meet some of those things. And so that's, that, again, helps us to see that. Okay, question number three. Uh, we talked about a Ezekiel 34 today. We read that. And we talked about how the shepherds of Israel just had lost it. Um, they, they, they were ignoring the flock. They were taking care of themselves. The flock was open prey to every animal out there, and God was really upset about them. And so the question we ask is, how do a group of shepherds keep from becoming that negative picture? We don't want that to happen. How yeah. do we keep that? Yeah. So in Exodus 34, if you have your Bibles turned back there or would like to, as, as Roger mentioned, we looked at various verses here. Let me just remind you, not just of the effect. You, you rehearsed that. There are, are weak sheep that were not being strengthened. We understand we're not talking about animals. We're talking about people. There, there were sick people who were not healed. There were injured who weren't bound up. There were those who had strayed and nobody knew where they were. They, they weren't being brought back. There were lost that, that were not being sought. And so why? How did God's people get to that point? I think particularly verses 2 and 3 of Ezekiel 34. Son of man, God talking to Ezekiel, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds. This is a message for those shepherds from God himself. Ah, shepherds of Israel who have been... How did we get to this sad point? Well... They were feeding themselves. Verse 3, they were eating the fat. They were clothing themselves with the wool. They were slaughtering the fat ones. They were not feeding the sheep. It had gotten to be a really comfortable position for leaders People of influence in Israel. And I mean, we even have a, a phrase for this in, in English 2,000 years later. We, we talk about getting fleeced. You ever heard that before? Where someone in a position of influence or authority takes advantage of the sheep. I'm going to take what I want from the sheep, but I'm not going to give the sheep what they need that's the idea of scalping a sheep right and not taking care of the sheep that has provided that wool sadly i mean it's not contained here in ezekiel 34 in our building blocks class this morning we were back in matthew 21 matthew 22 jesus says much the same thing of those chief priests elders Pharisees, Sadducees in Israel. He, he tells them parables. One that we looked at together today of a master of a vineyard who sets tenants over his property and goes away for a while. And what do those tenants do? They live it up for themselves. It's good to be where they were 
and they take advantage of what is really not, they're not living as stewards. And so how can a group of shepherds guard against this? Well, I, I would suggest take seriously, for instance, what Jesus says to the church in Laodicea in Revelation 3. Verse 17, you, you think you are rich and have prospered and have need of nothing. You're, you're living the good life, but you have forgotten what this is all about. We'll, we'll be in Acts chapter 20 before we're done this evening. That's, that's Paul talking to those elders in Ephesus, and he says very much the way that he said to Timothy in 1 Timothy 3, you must care for God's church. This is people work. And it becomes, when it becomes what I can get out of this, and the people are being neglected, we're falling into that Ezekiel 34 trap. And I think a mistake it's easy to make is to assume everybody's where I'm at. Yeah. I'm fine, so you have to be fine. I have no problems, so you have to have no problems. I'm not worried, so you're not worried. And, and that's a mistake you make. And that's why that First Thessalonians passage today was so important to see is that, that some were unruly, some were faint-hearted, some were weak all at the same time. So within among us, we have some that are excelling, just doing great. And you see that. Among us, we may have some who are just kind of floating. Among us, we may have some who are sinking. And so we can't make the assumption everybody is just where I'm at. And I don't need anything else, so you don't need anything else. No, you can't do that. I would even suggest that is a sign of a healthy church. I mean, you, you give me the option of a, a group of 300 people, and some within that group are strong, and some are growing and maturing, some are faint-hearted, some are weak, some are, are, are really seriously struggling, or you give me a group of five who are really strong, but they haven't baptized anybody in 25 years, which is more healthy? The, the, the one with all kinds of development, right? We bring people in dead spiritually. This is a, a hospital, right, where we are, are helping people be born again, helping people grow, helping people through the ups and downs of life. That is the nature of people work. That's it. Right? Good. All right. So, you talked this morning about the importance of clarity. I noticed like a good preacher you had three or four C words, right? They all started with C. All right, one of them, the last one, and, and for the sake of time, you, you didn't have much time to talk about it, but you, you talked about the importance of clarity. Let's explore that just a little. What happens when shepherds aren't clearly communicating with the flock? And then i got to follow up. Okay, well, you know, communication is the key to all relationships. Husband, wife, couple dating, parent, child, work. Even our relationship with God. I mean, we could say, well, well, God has spoken to us. We have the Bible. That's all I need. No, pray without ceasing. Uh, that communication is the key. So, so within the life of a congregation, uh, the more transparent, 
the more the congregation is aware of what's going on. Here's the needs. Here's something you can do. Here's some activities we're going to have. Here's some things that can help you grow, help you become what you ought to be. The more open we are with those things, the more healthy it is. Uh, I've been in places before where the people say, we have no idea what's going on. Uh, all, there's too many secrets, and we don't know what's happening. And, and so clarity, to me, is essential. Yeah, you know, we, we express ourselves. Now, of course, there, there's some situations that the elders may be working on. At the current hand, they can't tell you all the things, and we understand that. But to know, okay, this, this is where this congregation is going. And I think we've done a good job of that when we think about the concept of uh, our themes for the year. Here's our theme. Here's where we're going. Here's where our classes are going to be. Here's our VBS. All of this is directed to help you know. So you don't say, I have no idea what we're doing. I don't know why we're studying this book of the Bible. I have no idea why we're bringing this preacher in here. I, I just, I have no idea. And so clarity informs. And the more informed you are, the better you are with these things. All right. So sometimes, well, not just sometimes, but anytime you have two human beings or more together, you're not always going to see exactly eye to eye on everything. That's true of me and you. I, I still don't know why you root for a baseball team from Los Angeles, California. That's all right. We can talk more about that later on. Um, what happens when the leaders don't exactly see eye to eye? And they don't. And they don't. And there are times, you know, our backgrounds, our experiences, um, we kind of get that mingled up a little bit, and one person thinks we all do this, another thinks we all do this, and, and you know, you, you, you can fuss about those things, but what we do in this congregation is we talk it out, and we open our Bibles, and we listen to reason. Why do you feel this way? Well, here's why. Now, I may not agree with that person, but I'm going to listen to them. And, and as he expresses himself, I'm going to say, you know what, I didn't think about that one. Or I didn't think about that person. And, and, and as you express these things, you come to a great, it's like a husband and wife. I mean, you know, I, you know the, in the ideal world, we've got a lot of young couples just recently married, about to get married. And in the ideal world, you think we will never have an argument. And I think, okay, dream on. <laughs> dream on. Okay. Uh, but you will. You will. You'll have disagreements about uh, lots of things. What do you do? Go in the bedroom, shut the door and pout? Go to each other's parents? Or you work it out. You talk about it. And you, you, you express it. Now, when we do this in this confound, what, what we're looking at is how, we're, how we can help you, the people, the best. So it's not like, okay, I got my way last time, so now it's going to be Bill's time, and then Larry gets his way. Then that. No, it's not that. It's what's best for the people. What's going to help them get on that path to get to heaven? It may be something I hadn't thought about. It may be something I thought, you know, I don't think really that's the best way, but I hear what you're saying, and I, and I can't fight that. That's, that you're, what you're saying is right. And, and, and that's how we do that. We come out with one voice and one mind, and that's important. I know of congregations where you go to one shepherd, he'll tell you one thing. You go to another shepherd, he'll tell you something else. And that confusion, is, you know, it, it, it's like when a child goes to mom and dad. I mean, we had this in our house. They'd go to mom and can I do this? Not hear Debbie say no. And they come to me, and I say, whatever she says, I say. No, Dad, that's not fair. Well, <laughs> we got one voice. One voice. 
And that's how it has to be in the congregation. Because that gives you that unity. That gives you that understanding that, that yes, we've talked this out. We've thought this out. We've worked this out. And this is the conclusion we're coming to. So discussions, sometimes vigorous discussions as a, a team. We, we talked about some misconceptions last Sunday evening. It's not that lone shepherds are all heading in various directions. Serving as a team and then as that leadership is happening with one voice, one mind, striving together for the growth and the unity of the body. That's it. All right. That's it. All right. That's it. Okay, next question. Often the strategy in a battle is to take out the leaders. What threats do our shepherds face? Let's go back to 1 Timothy chapter 3. Let me highlight uh, one word or a collection of words in 1 Timothy chapter 3. I, I jotted down three threats, and they're not exclusively unique to, to any Christian. We all face these, but the Holy Spirit leads the Apostle Paul to speak directly of these men serving in this capacity in verse 6, he must not be a recent convert or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. You read the Old and the New Testaments and if there is one thing, it sure does seem to me that afflicts leaders then, Old Testament, then New Testament leaders of any era, it's, it's pride. goes back to that Ezekiel 34 warning that this is not about the people anymore. It's, it's all about me and how people look at me. Leaders in a church context, leaders in marriage, leaders in homes, we must guard against pride. None of this, well, it happens to other people or it happens in other places, but it would never happen to me. Hand in hand with pride, I jotted down hypocrisy. I mentioned Jesus in Matthew 21, 22. If you keep reading in Matthew 23, he exposes and so sharply rebukes leaders who preach but do not practice, who, who bind things on people, but they themselves aren't doing what they're telling people they ought to do. Uh, number three, I, I jotted down discouragement. And I think of Elijah in 1 Kings 19. I mean, he is the leader in Israel and leads them to such a spectacular turning point on Mount Carmel with those prophets of Baal. But in the very next chapter, he's disillusioned. He's running for his life. He's basically asking God, why? Why am I here? Why don't you just go ahead and take me? Because I'm the only one who cares. And, and that wasn't true, but he was discouraged. Pride, hypocrisy, discouragement. And, and the fourth one that I, I jotted down was just mission drift. Forgetting what the, the mission really is. The mission as defined by the great shepherd is make disciples, teach them to observe all that I have commanded you. That's our mission. And within the context of the church, the mission of those shepherds is to care for God's church. 
That's it. All right. How is it possible for a group of men, you, you mentioned last week a question you were thankful I, I had. I'm thankful you have this one. How is it possible for a group of men serving as shepherds to understand what it's like to be a woman? What a woman goes through. And a, a basic follow-up is, is that idea of just men serving in this capacity, is that just something cultural from the first century? Okay, well, let's, let's grab a couple verses. Let's go to the book of 1 Peter chapter 3. Well, this is not so much a shepherd passage, but a husband verse. 1 Peter 3 and verse 7. You husbands likewise live with your wife in an understanding way. There's some understanding there, okay? Now, you might say, okay, how can, how can shepherds today understand what's like to be a woman? Because we're not a woman. We don't go through those, all the thoughts that a woman does. How could they understand it back in the first century? Back in the first century, is even worse. They had less freedom, less rights than what they have today. And it was God who designed this from the very beginning. One of the things that I understand but I don't like well is when you go to a religious bookstore and you get these special Bibles. Here is a teen Bible. Here is a singles Bible. Here is a newlywed Bible. Here is a woman's Bible. And, and if you're not careful, you're going to start thinking, okay, the Bible for the teen is going to read differently than the Bible for the newlyweds. The newlywed Bible is going to read a little bit different than the woman's Bible. Now, I understand sometimes they have really unique covers and it appeals to that segment of society. You know, teenagers don't want the Bible looks like this. It's kind of, you know, kind of boring for them. They want something that's <laughs> excited. Now, I understand that we're talking about covers. But sometimes we get this idea that since I'm a man, I can't understand a woman. A woman can't understand a man. God made us disciples. All of us are disciples. And so when you turn your Bible to the book of Galatians, in Galatians chapter 3, the apostle would say in verse 26, For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who are baptized in Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free man, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. What God says of a woman disciple is what God says of a male disciple. Now, the, the roles they play may be a little bit different in what we can function in worship or roles in the home, but the idea of discipleship, following Jesus, getting to heaven, it's going to be the same. And so when we think about following that path, as we talked about this morning, it's going to be the same for all of us. And all of us need to understand that the world's trying to pull us off that path. And God is trying to keep us on that path. And so the concerns are there for us simply to follow what God would have us to do. And so is this a cultural thing? I do not believe so. And, and, and that, that's the flavor of the month in so many places. Is that th this was written in a time where women did not hold public office. We have a woman vice president today. We have women on Supreme Court. That would have never happened in the first century world. This is just a cultural thing. And so the culture has changed. And so we ought to have women in the eldership today. Some institutional churches of Christ have done that. Some have gone into those kind of things for that very reason. My question in response to that is, which culture do you find, follow? American culture? Or the culture in Iran and Afghanistan. What women can do in Iran and Afghanistan is a whole lot different than what I can do in America, isn't it? 
Are we going to find the culture of today or the culture of America in the 1700s? And what you have is you have the Bible constantly changing. The Bible becomes fluid. And the Bible for this region of the world may not be the same for the Bible of this region of the world. Because in Iran and Afghanistan, you would never, ever have a woman in the public office. Never. That would not be allowed. But over here, it's allowed. And so if we're going to follow culture, what we have is the Bible's changing. And God's word is not consistent. And God said that the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of God abides forever. And so that would be my answer yeah, to that. Yeah, the same Apostle Paul in the same letter, literally just a few lines up, talks about Adam, Eve, the roles God has created for men and women, and he roots that in creation. That's powerful because it does not depend upon culture, it does not depend upon era, it does not depend upon sensibilities in various parts of the world the great designer has instituted certain things that are rooted all the way back in creation and it is simply a matter of whether or not we will follow his lead and walk that path you were talking about okay all right number seven if the shepherds are not over the building who is all right so Let's go back. I told you we would come to, to Acts chapter 20 and verse 28. You, you mentioned this morning the idea of, of, and I think last Sunday morning as well, okay, church buildings, and, and I've, I've mentioned mission drift just a few moments ago. <clears throat> Acts chapter 20, verse 28 ought to be right up there. Acts 20 should be in our, our study, our reflection, our meditation on this work right there with 1 Timothy 3, Titus 1, 1 Peter, and, and so on. I, I wish that we had the time to read it all, but the context is Paul is passing by Ephesus. He, he believes with all of his heart he's never going to see these elders in Ephesus who mean so much to him. He was instrumental in starting that church, that gospel work in Ephesus. He spent years in Ephesus, and these are last words to these men who are, are tasked with overseeing that work. And, and for the sake of time, I just want to draw your attention to verse 28 of Acts 20. Paul tells these elders, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God. And you've done a good job on Sunday mornings reminding us fundamentally what the Holy Spirit is calling for these men to care for is not a building. It's people. That's what he's talking about when he describes the church of God. And so in that dimension, in that, that realm, okay, overseers must clearly be concerned with what's being taught in this building. Who, who is preaching in this building? What do the sheep who regularly gather within this building, what do they need? Are disciples being made? Is the gospel being proclaimed? Are disciples being taught and led to observe 
all that the, the chief shepherd has commanded. That's the mission, right? But last Sunday evening, we spent a little bit of time in Acts chapter 6. If you remember, it's that example of there's a very real need in that early church of Jerusalem. There are widows of Grecian descent that are being neglected in this daily distribution of food. And there's so much that we can learn there where the apostles say, okay, here's the plan. We, we want you to look for seven men of this kind of quality, right? Similar to what we were talking about earlier who will oversee this need because it is not right that we should give up watching over people, watching over the spread of the word in order to serve tables. And that, that is exactly what happens in too many places. You've seen it, I've seen it, I'm guessing many of us have. It is not right that shepherds should give up shepherding people to pick out a vacuum cleaner or to clean the baptistry or to shovel snow. It's not that those things aren't important. We are very thankful that three or four of our deacons just a couple of nights ago spent an evening after working hard during the day to come over here and clean the baptistry. I guarantee you there are people... Lord willing, who will get in that baptistry at some point in the future and they're thankful it's not covered in mold, right? And we're thankful in January that Gerald and Hunter and others get out here and clear off the parking lot and we're able just to pull right in and, you know, not think at all about how in the world did all of that snow disappeared from just this spot. But so important for us to keep our eyes on the mission, especially leaders. As we've said over and over again, this is people work. It, it wasn't in Acts 6 that the apostles were too good to serve food. No. You know, imagine me serving you. That wasn't the point. Their Lord washed their feet to teach right. them that lesson. And, and it wasn't that they didn't know how. They knew how. But the point is, only the apostles could be apostles. And when you look at this list of seven, Stephen is among them. Stephen could not be an apostle. He wasn't chosen. So let the apostles do what apostles do. Let these others do what others can do. Let shepherds do what only shepherds can do. Let others do what others can do. And that, that's really the answer to that. Yeah. All right. We're going to end in Hebrews chapter 13. We've got two basic questions here. Hebrews 13, 17 <clears throat> instructs us to obey those who lead us. That's the language there. Or 1 Timothy 5.17 describes elders who rule well. They are, are worthy of double honor. Well, what is the scope of that authority? What, what does it mean for us to submit to them this, this idea of ruling? Maybe that, that initially rubs us a little the wrong way. So what what is this that the Holy Spirit is prescribing? You know, it, it, in some places, I think it's presented that the elders have no authority. And all they are examples. But these passages bring out that idea that there is a rule. We are to obey them. And so the perimeters, first and foremost, are the word of God. 
you know, if I, being one of the shepherds here, or any of the shepherds get up here and say, we're going to start something new this coming week, we're going to offer the Lord's Supper on Tuesday night, stand up and revolt, that's wrong. That's not according to the Bible. We say, hey, you know what, this coming, this coming Sunday, um, we're going to roll in the piano, and my wife's going to play the piano for us all. Wrong. That's not according to scriptures. Our perimeters are where God has established. No one can go across that. If whoever goes across that is wrong. But within that boundary line, there's a lot of judgment. Okay? When are we going to meet on Sunday morning? Well, we could say, let's flip a coin. This week we're going to meet at mm, 10 o'clock. Next I've week, heard you say, if it was up to you, we'd meet at 6. Oh but man. there are six lots... O- 6 o'clock would be awesome. Lots of awesome. mothers in this room oh, that would, would not be, awesome. be happy It'd about be awesome. that. But, you know, and so you've got to keep in mind the people. And so, and so within, within those boundaries, there are some judgments. Now, this is where the word submission comes in. If it's outside the boundary, I follow God. And you're, you're saying some things that's not according to God's word. I follow God. But if it's within these boundaries... I may not like it so much, but we have to do what God says. Now, let me give you an example, and then we'll come back to something really, really real here. Okay, you know I got 10 million grandkids. And when Frozen came out, I don't know how many times I watched Frozen. You know, do you want to build a snowman? No, I don't. I don't want to build a snowman. I want to watch the Dodgers. That's what I want to do. Now, what are you going to do about that? Well, I, you know, I, I could throw a little pity party and they all say, oh, well, we feel sorry for PJ. That's what they call me. I'm PJ. And so, you know, let, let's all watch the Dodgers. No one wants to do it, but he's throwing a fit. Let's go do that. That's one thing we could do. Or I could go off into another room and watch it by myself. Or I can say, you know what? It's just a game. I want to be with my kids. I want to be with my grandkids. And so I've watched Frozen and Frozen and Frozen and Frozen. My brain's frozen. I'm frozen, okay? <laughs> Why do I do that? Because... I want to be a team player. That's the concept of submission. Now, bring it back here. I believe the hardest, most difficult, most terrifying thing these shepherds went through was the decisions about COVID. Personally, I know what they were going through. Do we cancel services? Do we not? It wasn't because of what the government was saying. It's the well-being of us. Now, if we had our own personal view, onward we go. We're marching to Zion. But we got some older members. We got some young mothers. We got some folks who have some real health issues. Thinking about the flock, what's the best thing to do? We went through a little cycle where they were requesting us to wear masks. They didn't like to wear masks. Nobody wanted to wear masks. We wish we didn't, but we thought... Thinking about the well-being of everybody. And I want you to know they agonized. There was zillions of phone calls among themselves. They've talked to some medical people. They did all kinds of stuff. And they, I, I want you to know they agonized this. Down to the last minute, we've got to make a decision. Are we, cool, are we pulling the plug on services or are we going to have them? And that was hard. They had nothing to go back on. They couldn't say, well, you know, 20 years ago this is what we did. There was nothing that happened like this before. This was very, very, very difficult. And I saw our elders age immensely because this was so hard. Who can imagine canceling services? And if you remember, there was a period of time when we had a group coming in the morning and a group coming at night. 
And whoever preached, preached the same sermon twice. I hated that. I didn't, <laughs> didn't like the first sermon. I had to do it the second time, you know. And, uh, you know, it was hard. And are we going to get through this? And there's so many issues involved. Keeping us together as best as we can. Trying to just walk through this. Knowing from week to week, things, things were very fluid and very, you know, there was a period of time, you remember, right after services, we had deacons in there wiping everything down. And if you coughed, you were gone for three weeks. You know, you may never come back because that's, that's how it was presented at first. And just to say, we've, you know, what's going to be best for this unit? Now, some agreed. Some disagreed. Some left us because they didn't agree. I don't always like watching Frozen. Every time that song, do you want, do you want to build a snowman? I just want to scream, no, I don't. <laughs> I don't build snowmen in August. I don't. <laughs> but you know what? I want to be a team player. And I have to trust my shepherds. Now, I may not agree with them. But you know what? They're looking out for my well-being. They're trying to keep me healthy physically, healthy spiritually. That's what was involved. And so for a lot of us, we had no clue what was going on. You don't know how many nights they were on the phone every single week what do we do this week what do we do what's the best we're hearing other churches doing that but that's not dictating this we're hearing what the government says well you know who knows what about this what about this and they just marched through it the best that they could at that moment now we're looking back they might even say well we could have made some adjustments looking back we might say well we we, we were over cautious looking back you know, among this church family, and we've had folks that had COVID, but among this church family, there's not one member died from COVID. And we've had some relatives who died from COVID, but no person. I know lots of congregations where they can't say that. No congregations where eight, nine, ten people within that group died. Now, they have to, you know, they have to do what they have to do. We have to do what we have to do. And sometimes people say, well, in this church over here, they did this. This church, over here, you know, that, that's what this verse, that's what this question's all about. There'll be things that come down the road that you say, you know what? Mm. Are we in the boundaries? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Put on frozen. Okay. <laughs> here we are. Now, for outside the boundaries, we're going to be talking about that because that's not right. But within the boundaries, I may not like it so much. Now, I can go to my own room and watch my own game. I can throw a fit and be a real stinker. Or I can say, you know what? They're thinking about things I, I probably have forgot about. They're thinking about things maybe I don't even know about. They've they got their eyes on these people, and maybe I don't as well. And so I'm going to be the team player and go along with that. God bless our men. We got through that, thankfully, through the men that we have here. Okay. Anything you want to say? Okay, good. Final question. Hebrews 13, 17, still there. says, let them do this with joy and not with grief, for this would be unprofitable for you. What's the grief, and why would it not be well for us? Yeah. You know, we need to read our Old Testaments. <laughs> you, you hear me advocate that a lot. Um, very few things give us a window into God's heart and the heart of His prophets, people with His own heart, 
like the Old Testament. And what grieved Moses, what grieved Jeremiah, what, what grieved the Son of God was when people just refused to stay on the path or they allowed selfishness to overtake that team spirit that, that you're describing. There is a reason that the Apostle Paul, to every church he writes to, says, listen, guard against selfish ambition and conceit and putting yourself before the good of the whole because few things destroy mission and perspective and capabilities and potential and unity more than selfishness and and rebellion and it is a beautiful thing we we hear all over the psalms it is a beautiful thing when god's people dwell together in unity and that doesn't mean that we all see exactly everything exactly the same doesn't mean that within the realm of judgment calls we might have made a, a slightly different judgment but what grieves people who are pouring their heart and soul into helping people get to heaven is when they care more than those people and you see that in every era and the reason why it grieves preachers and teachers and leaders is because they care they care about us but when they care about my soul more than i care about my soul and i'm being reckless with my soul because they care it's gonna it's gonna hurt and and that's a a, a blessing that's why the hebrew writer says listen let them do this with joy not with grief because there isn't anything profitable going to come from me being rebellious or being selfish. It will not be well. No. That's coming from God. No. So let's, let's turn to the book of... Uh, okay. I've done that before. All right. Am I still on? And looking at here, Jesus being the good shepherd, just pulling out two verses. As he talks about the hireling in verse 12. The hireling is not a shepherd, not the owner of the sheep. Behold the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hireling. He is not concerned about the sheep. The very next verse, I am the good shepherd. 
And with those words, what Jesus say is, I am concerned about you. You see, the hireling doesn't care. Satan doesn't care. God cares. this evening, if you're not a Christian, you need to become one by giving your heart to God. You need to see that God cares about you. You may be in school, you may say, you know, where I go to school, and nobody cares about me. You may be working at a big corporation, and I'm just an employee, I'm just a number, and I could drop out, and nobody cares. That's probably true. My neighbors don't even know me. Nobody cares. God cares. And you know that, because he sent Jesus, the best of heaven. And he gave you his word, his promise, and his hope. And so that's what this is all about. Someday, old Dan and I together in heaven. I hope God puts us on the same log for about 10,000 years. That would be awesome. <laughs> Wouldn't that be awesome? Wouldn't that be awesome? Not only in this congregation right here, but how many faces that we have worshipped with through years and years and years that's already gone through that door. How many that we've loved so dearly that's on the other side? How many that we know dearly that's in other places that's just not here because they're living in other places? Can you imagine all of us together in heaven? That's what this is about. And we want you to be there. We can help you once you come, as we stand, as we sing.